All right, praise God. Uh, it's good to be back because I, I was gone last week, and so I really miss you guys. I always miss worshiping with you guys when I'm gone. Uh, but I did have a great time at the Garden Church, so that's where I was at. Uh, I wasn't just hanging out, <laughs> but I was preaching at another church. Okay, well, w- why don't you open up your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6, 1 through 10, and we're going to get right into the Word of God. So Daniel chapter 6, 1 through 10. And it has been a joy going through this book, but we are going to be wrapping it up very quickly today. But Daniel chapter 6, 1 through 10. And if you're joining us here in person, you're going to see it on the screen behind me. If you're joining us online, you'll see it uh, on your screen at home. So this is God's word. Daniel 6, 1 through 10. Okay, this is God's word. It pleased Darius. Darius was the king over Medo-Persia to set over the kingdom 120 satraps or governors to be throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error was found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction. In other words, they want to make a law that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed. Whoever to the... I'm sorry, according to the law of Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Father, for just your presence and your spirit that is always with us. Thank you, Lord, that you are always with your people. And thank you, Lord, that now, Father, I believe you have a word that you want to speak. Father God, may you open our hearts. May you, Father God, help us to receive whatever it is you want to say, not my thoughts or opinions, but your word. So Lord God, we thank you so much. Thank you for everyone who made time to be here, everyone joining us online. And be with those who are away on summer break. And we pray and ask that you would continue to reach people for the gospel, for your glory. That you continue to build your church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, like I mentioned earlier, we're finally at the very end of this Disciples at Work series. And it's been a great journey. But all good things have to come to an end. And next week, we're going to be starting a whole new series on the book of 2 Peter. So I'm excited about that. I did not say First Peter, I said Second Peter. <laughs> You're like, why? Why are you skipping first? You're going to find out. But we're going to start a new series next week on Second Peter. But before we move on to that, I do want to look at Daniel chapter 6 one more time. 
So last week, we had a full sermon on it. We went through the entire passage, went in depth into the meaning of that entire story. Um, But today, I do want to revisit it one more time. Now, this final chapter is the last chapter in the historical narrative portion of the book of Daniel. So starting in chapter 7, you go into all these wild prophecies that are actually very incredible, very relevant for today. But unfortunately, we're not going to get into that. So we're going to just end it right here in chapter 6. This is the last chapter in the narrative portion of Daniel. And again, two weeks ago, we looked at this entire chapter in full. We looked at the story of Daniel in the lion's den. And I know that many people are familiar with the story. We all love the story. Many of us heard it growing up. But unfortunately, I think a lot of us did not get the real point of the story because this story is not really about lions. I'm sorry. It's not really about dens. It's not really about how faithful Daniel was to God. That's part of it. But that's not the real point of this chapter. But more than Daniel's faithfulness to God, what was this story really about? It was about Daniel's, or I'm sorry, God's faithfulness to Daniel. So that's what I believe this story is really about. How God had been working in Daniel's life over decades and decades and now a climax in this story. But God's faithfulness to Daniel. So God is the one who brought Daniel to Babylon and Medo-Persia as an exile. Yes, that was a terrible event, but that was clearly God. He brought Daniel as an exile. And an exile is someone who lives in the world. Someone who is a part of the fabric of this world and yet doesn't belong to this world. So that's an exile. That was Daniel. And God's the one who brought him. God is also the one who used Daniel to be his witness as an exile. And he did it by giving Daniel a spirit of excellence. So Daniel, get this, but he wasn't just an exile, but he was also excellent. So he was both. He didn't really belong where he was at, but he was excellent where he was at. And because of that, Daniel was a witness, but also he was persecuted. And we're all like that too. We're called to both be exiles and excellent. But in the midst of doing that, we will also be attacked. So Daniel was persecuted. God is also the one who rescued Daniel from persecution. So clearly in chapter 6, he got rescued out of the mouths of the lions. So we saw that last time. And ultimately, God is the one who transformed the kings and nations through Daniel's witness. So Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon got transformed. And then now Darius in the Medo-Persian Empire was being impacted. And it was all through Daniel's witness. So that's what God did in Daniel's life. Okay, this is what we looked at two weeks ago. And these are all themes that we also saw where? Okay, where do we see all these themes that I just mentioned? At the very beginning of the book, in Daniel chapter 1. So we saw the same things at the very beginning of Daniel. And now, at the very end of his life, we see the same things. So we have come full circle. And ultimately... All throughout his life, we saw the exact same things. So this is what we've been talking about throughout the entire series. But how Daniel lived as God's exile, but he was also excellent right where he was at, right in his workplace. And this is what we've been looking at for ourselves. How do we live like that? Because we're also exiles, amen? We've been born from above, the Bible says. So we're not from here. Maybe you live right on the same street in the same house you grew up in your whole life, and yet the moment you came to faith in Christ, you're in exile. You're not from here, yet you still live here, right? 
So how do we as exiles also live right here and be excellent, especially in the workplace? So this is what we've been looking at the entire series. So this is who we are. Okay, you are exiles, but you are really a part of the company you belong to. Okay, you really go to the school you go to, right? You're not making that up. You're not faking that. You really belong in the community you live in. You really live there. God has placed you there. And because of that, you're called to be excellent right where you're at. So how do you do both, right? Because even though you don't belong there, you're called to be excellent there. Your commitment and allegiance is to God, and yet you still have a responsibility to where you live. And so how do you navigate that tension? So that is the question throughout this entire series. How can you be excellent and faithful in your workplace, but also be in exile and be faithful to God? And so this question is a big question. It's going to go even way beyond this series. Uh, I encourage you, continue to pursue it. You're going to take an entire lifetime to learn how to be like this. And it is not easy to be both, and especially when you start getting persecuted, because people don't like exiles who are excellent. And yet, this is God's calling. Okay, this is what we're called to be. So this is what we've been looking at this entire series. And today, what I want to do is I want to close out this series by looking at some very, very practical ways on how we can draw strength from God in this very situation we're in. Again, very unique situation. We're exiles, but we're called to be excellent. Very hard. We're going to be persecuted. But what are some things we can begin to do? Well, there are two primary ways uh, or primary things we should focus on. And we get this straight from Daniel's own life, Daniel's example in chapter 6. But they are place and practices. Okay, place and practices. So these are the two things that Daniel did when he was facing the greatest challenge of his life, at the very end of his life. But there was a place, very significant to him, and also practices that he did. So place and practices. So first, place. Okay, this is your holy ground. Holy ground. So if you look at Daniel chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, it says here, King Darius therefore signed a document and injunction or law. Okay, it was a terrible law. You could only pray to him for 30 days. When Daniel heard that and knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Then he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So here, very clearly, Daniel, when he got the news that no one in the kingdom can pray to anyone else but the king for 30 days, he did what he always did. But he went upstairs in his house to a room. It says here a chamber. He went there and then he prayed. And this is what he always did. And he did it because he just intuitively knew, I need to be strengthened in my faith. Okay, his faith in the living God directed him, I believe, to that place. And this place became what the Bible calls holy ground. Okay, this was Daniel's holy ground. And remember, this place that he went to was in the middle of his workday. So this wasn't after he went back home. I mean, literally, while he was at work, he heard this law being proclaimed, and he went to his room, and he did this in the middle of the day. So he went to his holy place, this holy ground, in the middle of his workday. But what made this place holy ground? Okay, what was it that made it so special? Was it because he prayed towards Jerusalem in that room? Is that why? 
By the way, he did it because Solomon directed the Israelites to do it in 1 Kings 8.35. But was that what made it so holy that he prayed towards Jerusalem in that room? I believe the answer is no. There was nothing special about facing towards Jerusalem. Jews and Christians now were not commanded to do that. I never pray towards Jerusalem. I don't even know where Jerusalem is. Is it that way, this way? I don't know. Right? We're not commanded to do that. There's nothing in particular about the temple in Jerusalem that we need to pray towards either. So it wasn't the temple or Jerusalem that were the issue. But it was what the temple represented, which was what? God's presence. The temple represented God's presence. So when the Jews prayed towards the temple, they were symbolically directing their prayers towards who? Towards God. That's what Daniel was doing. It wasn't about some command he had to obey. We're not like you know, Muslims who have to pray towards Mecca. It's simply the representation of God's presence. He was directing his prayers towards God himself. And the God who is everywhere would hear these prayers wherever you are that you pray if you're directing them towards God. Okay, this is what Daniel's prayer towards Jerusalem represented. If you direct them towards God, then this God who is everywhere will hear those prayers even if you're 100 miles away from a temple. He will hear those prayers and then answer them. So this is very basic, but this is what's going on here. And that is what made Daniel's room in his house upstairs holy ground. Okay, that's what made it holy ground. It was the place that Daniel met with God. Okay, that's what it was. In a very real way, in the most challenging time, Daniel went to this room and he met with God. He directed his prayers towards the living God. And God heard his prayers and God met Daniel. And so this brings us to the first point about holy ground, but it is the place of encounter. It is a place of encounter. So today there's only two points, place and practices, right? But under each one, there's gonna be many subpoints. So here's the first subpoint under place. Holy ground is a place of encounter. Now we see that with Daniel here, but we also see it very clearly in another story with another prophet, Moses. But this is where this term holy ground actually comes from. But it's so clear with Moses. But real quick, Moses, most of us know, but Moses was a Jew. He was born during a terrible time. He was almost killed. But then Pharaoh's daughter rescued him. He grew up in Pharaoh's courts. Later, when he was a young man, bad things happened to him in Egypt. So he fled to a place called Midian. And then fast forward many, many decades. And now here's Moses, a very old man in his 80s, just like Daniel. Daniel was in his 80s in chapter six. But here's Moses in his 80s on a mountainside somewhere in Midian, and he's at work. He's just doing work. He's herding a bunch of sheep, and then he looks over and he sees a very unusual thing. Here's a bush. It looks like it's on fire. He's like, why is this bush on fire? So he comes close to it, and he's shocked. It's a burning bush, but it wasn't burning up. So it was very strange. And then so as he got near, suddenly he heard a voice. God spoke out of that bush. And listen, this is what God said. Exodus 3, verse 5. Then God said to Moses, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet. Okay, this is a stupid joke, but maybe God's Asian. I don't Father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. In other words, God was right there. Okay, God, God does some weird stuff sometimes, amen? He showed up in a little bush. Almost like, hello. <laughs> I don't know, it's like he's hiding. But God was in the bush. 
And you know, this isn't in my nose, but I need to make this clear. You know, sometimes Christians, we have this false notion, false notion of God where we go, you know, God is just everywhere, period, we're done. And I've heard a lot of Christians say that. You know, God is everywhere, end of discussion. And that's very true, God is everywhere. The Bible is very clear, God is omnipresent. But that's kind of like saying, you know, on the earth, there's water. That's a true statement, but it doesn't really explain much, right? On the earth, there's water. Well, what kind of water? Underground water, rivers, oceans, lakes? I mean, what are you talking about? Rainwater? So it's the same thing by when you say God is everywhere. Well, what do you mean by that? Because in scripture, God clearly manifests himself in particular ways. Is God everywhere? Absolutely. But are there certain expressions of God's presence at certain times? Absolutely. And so this is what we see here. In this bush, God manifested himself. So yes, God is everywhere. You can't run from God, and yet, in this particular time and place, God manifested himself in a unique way. And this is why the Bible was able to say, God was there in the bush. Moses was afraid to look at God's face in that bush. And this is why God said, this is holy ground. Holy ground. So because God's presence was manifested right there, on the bush and around that bush. So even though it was a mundane, everyday spot, I mean, what could be more ordinary than a bush on a mountainside? I mean, there are millions of bushes on mountainsides. But on this mundane bush, everyday spot, God appeared, and in that moment is holy ground. It's holy ground. He manifested himself. And that was the same for Daniel in his room. Okay, Daniel was living 900 miles from Jerusalem, in a pagan city, nothing holy about it. I mean, he was you know, pretty well off. Not many people had houses back then. He had a house. He was about to be second in command in the kingdom. Nice house, but nothing holy about it. And yet, because Daniel got on his knees three times a day and directed his prayers towards God, that's what it meant when it said he prayed towards Jerusalem. He directed it towards God. God manifested himself. Again, God's everywhere, but there was a particular manifestation. And so it was holy. And brothers and sisters, okay, this, this is the first huge point, so I'm gonna take longer on this. But this is how you need to see your workplace. Okay, your workplace can also be holy ground. And you're like, say what? Because <laughs> it doesn't look like holy ground. In fact, there's a, very, a lot of unholy things that happen there. Yes, absolutely. There might be swearing. I mean, I've heard some terrible things that happen you know, in business buildings, all kinds of stuff. And yet, the moment a believer in exile walks into that place and you are aware of God's presence, he's everywhere, but there's also manifestations of his presence, right? A unique way, right? He, he'll appear in your heart. He'll speak through his word, through prayer. It's holy. That is holy ground. You know, at the very beginning of this series, I don't know if you remember, but I said all work is spiritual. Do you remember that? All work is spiritual, there is no divide between secular and sacred. And that's not from me, but I came from scripture, but it also got recovered during the Reformation through Martin Luther. Martin Luther taught a lot on this. But all work is spiritual. And so God goes with us to work, and he is working through our work. And this is why we can say clearly, God is there when we go to work. It's not only that God is there at work, but we actually go with God. God is living within us because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are now the burning bush. Because in Pentecost, in Acts 2, when the Spirit came down upon believers, it says tongues of fire lighted upon the disciples. So they were on fire, but they weren't burning up. 
kind of like the bush. That's a picture of the believer now. But we are not the burning bush. We have been lit by God's fire, but we are not burned up. And so what does that mean? When you go to work, you go with God. You go with God. So wherever, whatever you're doing at work, wherever you are at work, you can meet with God. And in that moment, as you meet with God, that is holy ground. So you need to see your work as holy ground. So let me ask you, where is your place of encounter with God? Tomorrow morning, if you go to work tomorrow, where is that place? Okay, where do you seek God and meet with God in your workplace? Now, it could be before you get to work, maybe in your car, during your commute. We're going to look at that more later. But maybe that's your holy place, the holy ground. Maybe it's your cubicle. It could be a walkway that wraps around your building, your school, you know, your hospital, wherever you work. But maybe every day when you go to work, you could walk around and that's your holy spot. Maybe it's a little place where you have lunch every day. Okay, maybe that's holy ground. Or maybe if you work from home, it's your kitchen table. Okay, you work remotely from home. But wherever it is, where is your place of encounter with God? Because the moment you begin to realize, you know, God is with me. No matter what I'm doing, he's right here and I can commune with him. I can encounter him. That is holy ground, amen? So you need to begin to shift your thinking. Your workplace is holy ground. I don't care what happens there. The moment you walk into work, you can hear a big F word. It doesn't matter. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that image. <laughs> Sometimes that's, that's the reality, right? It's like, whoa, my boss is really angry today. Lord, I'm going to make this holy ground. You make it holy ground. So it is a place of encounter. Here's the second point. It is a place of calling. A place of calling. Go back to Moses. But God said this to Moses in Exodus 3.9. Now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So that place, that mundane, everyday place, just a bush on a mountainside, became holy ground, but it was more than just that. It was also a place of calling. It was a place of encounter, but also a place of calling. And so this was the great calling that would define Moses' life. And again, it just happened on just any old work day. He was just herding some sheep. But God met him, and then God called him, and then that changed his life. By the way, did you know that the same thing happened to Jesus' disciples? But when Jesus walked along the shore of Galilee, and he called his disciples, what were they doing? They were just working, right? They were at work. God seems to like appearing at work. I don't know why. He just does. But they were just working, right? They're fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John, two sets of brothers. They were just casting their nets. And Jesus said, hey, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So in that moment, God again took the most mundane, normal thing. Okay, what's more normal than fishermen trying to catch fish? It was just work. But in that place, in that context, God met them. And then he called them. And so God oftentimes likes to do that. I don't know why, but he just likes to work through our work. He likes to appear in this context that we call work. And the moment you begin to realize, you know what, when I get to work, this is a holy place. This is a holy ground. My cubicle, my office can be holy ground. Okay, this little workspace I have, this is holy ground. God will begin to meet you and he might even call you. 
You know, there's a book that I've been reading called Working in the Presence of God. I'm gonna be drawing actually uh, a lot of my examples today from this book. But in this book, there's a story of a man named Michael who bought a company. It's a staffing company that helps skilled workers find employment. But he had uh, this business early on and then he found success right away. But then a little later, he began to run into a lot of hardships. So I won't go into all the stories, but he actually started having a real rough time. And during that time, he began to realize, you know what? I need to make this business more than a business. I need to begin to meet God. So he began to seek God at work. Like, like seriously, seek God. And long story short, but he said, during that time, while at work, God began to meet him. God began to convict his heart. God began to speak to him through scripture. And so what ended up happening is God called him. And this is so amazing, but God called this businessman, his name is Michael, but God called him to begin to see himself at work in a totally new way. And I don't know a lot of people who have this perspective, but he said, God called me to see myself as a full-time minister in business, leading this business, a full-time minister. I mean, usually when you think of full-time ministry, you think of like pastors, right, missionaries. But God spoke to him, called him, and said, I want you to see yourself as a full-time minister right here. This is what he said, his words. It was my faith that drove me into business. I saw myself as a disciple of Jesus stepping into business because the Holy Spirit was leading me that way. And then hear this. At work, God has called me to pastor those people whom he identifies. I'm constantly asking while at work, Lord, is this person part of our flock? And see, he really took that calling to heart. Yeah, I'm a full-time minister here. I'm actually a pastor, even though I'm just a businessman, right? I'm a pastor right here in this business. So that's a pretty amazing calling. And I believe God is calling you as well. I know he is. And it's not gonna look the same as Michael's calling, but there is a calling. And so for some of you, if you've lost your vision for work, and I know some of you guys have, I know because you tell me, if you've lost your passion for work, your sense of purpose, Maybe you never had it. You don't even know why you're there. Why am I here, right? And some of you guys, I know that's true because you've told me. Then where are you going to find it? Where are you going to find that calling again? I want to encourage you. Go to your place. Go to your holy ground where you're going to meet with God and continue to meet with him. And believe me, he will show up. Again, he's everywhere, but in that unique way, he will show up and he will call you. So that holy ground is a place of encounter, is also a place of calling. Third, is also a place of renewal, a place of renewal. So I'm gonna just continue with Moses here because it's so clear. But when God called Moses, he had a purpose for that calling. It was renewal. So God wanted to bring renewal in Moses' life and also for the Israelites. Look at Exodus 3, 16. God said, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. See, when God met Moses at work and turned that mountainside into holy ground, Moses wasn't doing too well. He wasn't in a good place. Because if you were to read his entire life story, you would know when he was younger, he had a lot of passion. He had a big vision to rescue God's people from slavery. When he was a younger man, he realized he's not Egyptian, he's Jewish. He saw his people enslaved. He wanted to rescue them. But then it didn't turn out really well, so then he fled. 
And so now, fast forward many, many years, that vision was cold. He was buried. When he was younger, he also sensed that God had called him to be something significant. He, he knew that there was a bigger identity for him than just to kind of walk around the palace in Egypt. But now, fast forward many years, he was resigned. He had just hurt, you know, hurt his sheep for many, many years. Maybe he thought, this is where I'm going to be when I die. I'm just going to retire here. Nothing wrong with that. But this was Moses. Something inside of him had died. He was also a criminal, so I'm sure he had a lot of guilt. Earlier, when he was back in Egypt as a young man, he actually killed an Egyptian while he tried to rescue his people, and then he fled. And so he had that on his conscience, that he had actually killed and taken human life. So he had all of this weighing upon him. And so here's the point. Moses was not doing well. There were a lot of flames that God had lit in his life when he was younger, but now it was starting to die, if not completely had died in many ways. And so here's Moses, not doing well, and then he met God on holy ground, and everything that was fading or had faded was reignited. In that single moment, it began to come back. And again, some of us here, we're like Moses, God's purpose, his vision for your life, his promises were there, but now they've faded. And like Moses, God can renew those things. Okay, easily, in a single moment. You know, I remember telling this one family member of mine, we were going through some really, really difficult things, and this family member told me, you know, Roy, I'm basically just gonna live my life here, and then I'm just gonna die here. He used those words, I'm just gonna die here. And I remember telling this person, you know, in a single day, things can change. And he didn't believe me, right? He didn't even really look up when I told him. But I told him, in a single day, something can change. Because I know how God works. And I can't go into the story. It's not my story. It's his story. But it did. In a very short amount of time, God completely reignited everything in his life. Okay, this was Moses. And this can also be us. But how, right? How can these things renew in your life? Just go to your holy ground and meet him. It's the same message, just repeat it again and again. But you need to begin to see your work in a very different way. Tomorrow morning, when you get to work, you might be very discouraged. There's nothing exciting there. But I'm telling you this, brothers and sisters, there is something very exciting. God is there. God is there. And there are very specific things that he's wanting to do there. It could be very exciting. You need to seek him. You need to find that place, that holy ground, and seek him. It is a place of renewal. You're gonna find it's a place of renewal. But here's the last point about holy ground. It is a place of courage. It's also a place of courage. Look at Exodus 4.10. Again, Moses. It says here, both Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Okay, I can't speak well. Either in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. So then in response to that, God says in verse 12, Now therefore go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So God clearly encouraged him. So Moses here was not ready to follow God. He had a lot of fear. He knew that there was going to be a lot of challenges if he went back to Egypt. Again, he was a wanted man. He had killed somebody. So he did not want to go. And nothing would convince him to go. And you can read this story on your own. But Exodus 3, God performed miracle after miracle to try to get Moses to go. Right? I'm I'm going to do mighty works through you. Go. But nothing convinced him. It wouldn't change his mind. But ultimately, Moses went. Why? Why did he go ultimately? Because he had met God on holy ground. So he knew God. He knew God had met him, and God promised to go with him. Okay, let me read that again. Moses, 
Therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. In other words, I'm gonna go with you. So that's why Moses had enormous courage. He knew God. He knew God was with him. Okay, that was everything to him. In fact, later on in Moses' ministry, if you kept reading on through Exodus and then Numbers, but you see how important God's presence was to Moses. It just keeps coming up again and again and again. I don't want to go without your presence. Okay, don't send us without your presence. It has to be your presence. And then later, even Joshua, Moses' assistant, found the same courage in God's presence. Right before going into the promised land, Joshua 1.9, God told Joshua, have I not commanded you, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Don't be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I'm gonna be with you. So do you see that? If you just know that you know God is here, Yes, I'm at work. Yes, there's a lot of noise, but this is holy ground. And I'm meeting with God. He's with me. Enormous courage begins to rise up. I think this is exactly what happened with Daniel. Okay, how could Daniel hear that law? Don't pray to anyone but the king for 30 days, otherwise you're going to die. You're going to get thrown into the lion's den. He just shrugged, went to his holy place, holy ground, started praying. Why? Because he knew that God met him. Every time he went there, God met him. And because of that, he had incredible courage. So ultimately, courage, brothers and sisters, and you know I've been talking about this. We're gonna hear more about it in our next series. But we live in very difficult times. It is negative world, meaning they have a negative perception of us. There are enormous cultural shifts happening, and you're gonna be persecuted. You're gonna face challenges. You're not just called to be excellent at work, but you're also in exile there. You gotta be faithful to God and to your work, both. And you will be persecuted. So where are you gonna find the courage? It's not by just coming to church once a week on Sunday. It's not even just worshiping God occasionally when something happens, but it's every day at work as you meet with him on holy ground. That's where that courage is gonna come from. You know, going back to that book, Working in the Presence of God, this is what the author said. Worship isn't just something we do. It is where God does something to us. That is such a powerful truth. Worship isn't something we do merely. It is where God does something to us. Worship is the heart of discipleship because it is the gymnasium in which God retrains our hearts. This is where God works in us. This is where you go from being a fearful, anxious person to now you have courage. He's retraining your heart. It is the gymnasium of God. That holy ground. So this is who we are called to be. Okay, more important than ever before. So that is the importance of seeing your work as holy ground. Okay, it is a place of encounter. It is a place of calling, renewal, a place of courage. But having that place at your work is only just the beginning. But you also need practices, amen? Okay, you don't just need a place, but you need practices. And Daniel had both. So this is our second point, practices. And I call this your work liturgy, your work liturgy. So look at Daniel 6, 9 again. It says, therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction or law. And when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open toward Jerusalem, and then hear this. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. So here, 
under the greatest challenge of Daniel's life. I mean, he was facing death as an 80-year-old. Okay, the greatest challenge of his life, he went to his holy ground, right? The place where he always met God. He went to his holy ground, and there he began to do these well-established practices that regularly opened him to God and his grace. So it says here, he got down on his knees, and then he prayed, and then he gave thanks. Okay, those are all different things. And it says he did it three times a day, regularly, in that holy place. So, so what is this? These are spiritual practices. And spiritual practices, that's just another word for spiritual disciplines. And you guys should know, because we did a whole series on this. But these are not activities you do to change yourself, right? Okay, you're not being a good Christian. You're not changing yourself. It's not a self-help activity. No, spiritual activities are done so that you open yourself to God and his grace so that he changes you, amen? Because that, that's what these spiritual practices are. So they're not things that you do to change yourself, but they're things you do to open yourself to God and then he changes you. And here's another word for this. It's called liturgy, okay, liturgy. A liturgy is basically a structure or pattern that can help you to worship God. Okay, that's all it is. I know it sounds fancy. It sounds a little bit like Catholic even. It's not. We actually even have a liturgy here. Okay, a lot of churches, all churches do. But every Sunday when you come here, there's a liturgy, right? We open up with a call to worship. Then we begin to have a singing, praise and singing. And then after that, we have a time of offering, congregational prayer. Okay, that's a liturgy. Okay, all it is is just an order, a structure to help people worship. Well, here's, my, here, here's the point. You need to also have a liturgy at work, amen? You need to have a liturgy to help you worship God at work. Yes, you need a place. Yes, you need to have holy ground at work. You need to see your work as holy ground, but that's not enough. You also need a structure, an order, a pattern of doing things while at work to help you worship God. They will enable you to continue to do these practices. Otherwise, you might just do it once and then give up. You might forget but these structures will help you to do these practices. So let me just mention four liturgies that you can do at work. Okay, this is gonna be very practical and then we're gonna close. And again, I'm drawing these examples primarily from that book, Working in the Presence of God, Spiritual Practices for Everyday Work. There's another book that I drew some of this stuff from, The Sacred Meaning of Everyday Work. I don't like that book as much, so maybe you shouldn't buy it. <laughs> yeah, there's some things in there I don't agree with, but they did have some helpful examples, okay? But those are the two books I'm drawing this from. Before liturgies that you could do at work, very practical. The first one is the liturgy of commute. Okay, the liturgy of commute. And this comes straight from scripture. In ancient times, the Israelites had a liturgy when they were traveling. Did you guys know that? So regularly, the ancient Jews went all the way from wherever they lived to Jerusalem. And on that travel, that they, they had a liturgy. It's called the Songs of Ascent. Okay, these are basically Psalms 120 through 134 in our Bible. But these songs of ascent, these special psalms in our Bible, they would sing through these psalms. It was a liturgy while they were traveling. And so following that model, you can also have a liturgy when you travel to work, on your commute to work. So what do I mean? Well, if you commute to work in your car, you can break up that commute into different sections, different parts. And people do this. But for example, let's say you drive all the way to work and you have to get on the freeway, right? 
Well, then automatically there's three different parts to your commute. There's the drive through your neighborhood to get on the freeway, right before the freeway. Then there's the actual drive on the freeway. And then there's the drive when you get off and you have to get to your building, right? So there's automatically three parts. And so that's a very simple way to have a liturgy. But so, for example, on your drive through the neighborhood, you can just spend that time, the entire time, giving thanks to God. Right? Thank God for your family, your neighborhood. I mean, you're driving through it. Thank God for your community. So that could be your first part. On the second leg, when you get onto the freeway, now you can ask God for maybe guidance and direction, right? You're driving, you have to like pay attention to the direction. Say, God, you know, in my life, I pray for guidance and direction. Maybe this could be a good time to bring up major issues for that day. Oh, I have this big meeting coming up, you know, today, Lord. I pray for that. Maybe there's something looming on the horizon. Maybe there's a difficult thing, you know, coming up. But, but this is a great time to pray for all that. And then finally, when you get off the freeway, now you're driving towards your building, pray for your workplace, right? You're, you're approaching your work, pray for your coworkers. So do you see that? That's a liturgy. It's an order. It's a structure, and it's very simple because you're every day you're bound to hit those three things, right? You're going to be going through your neighborhood. You're going to get on the freeway. You're going to get off the freeway. And that could be a reminder to pray in these different ways. Okay, the, another way to structure it is some people, they praise God the entire time during that first leg. They're just worshiping. They have praise music on. The second part of it, when they're, when they're on the freeway, they listen to the Bible, audio Bible, right? Don't read your Bible, but just, just listen to it as you're driving on the freeway. And then finally, when you get off, you pray as you approach your building. So however you structure it, there is a natural liturgy that you can have on your commute. Now, if your commute is just going through all local roads, you're like, uh, Pastor Roy, I don't go on the freeway. That's fine. Well, then you can't pray. No, I'm just kidding. It's like, no, you can pray, right? Use landmarks. Okay, I always pass that McDonald's, right? And then I pass that post office. And then I pull into my building. So then before you hit McDonald's, you're doing that first part. After McDonald's, you do the second part. After you cross the post office, you do the third part, right? If it's all local roads. So you get what I'm saying. But these are just natural ways that you can begin to form a liturgy on your commute. Now, what about for those who work at home? Well, you can travel to your kitchen, can't you? <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, maybe you can take a walk around your neighborhood before work each day. So you work from home, that's fine. Get up a little earlier and just have a nice brisk walk. It's probably good for your mental health, good for your body. But take a walk around your neighborhood before you start work. And use that time. You can break up that walk into three parts. Again, these are just recommendations. But you can begin to think of ideas of how you can have a liturgy in your commute. Okay, here's another liturgy. The liturgy of scripture. Liturgy of scripture. According to God, regularly meditating upon scripture is going to be vital in having success at work, and doing his will at work. It might not be the success you're imagining, but in success according to his will. So Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous. Then you will have good success. Don't you want success according to God's will at your workplace? Of course you do. Well, how are you going to do it? Have a liturgy of scripture. So again, you need a place, absolutely, right? You need holy ground, but while you're there, incorporate scripture. This is a very straight point. But have a liturgy of scripture. 
So here's one way, but every day if you have an office, you go to your office desk, you turn on your computer, right? Every day you gotta turn on your computer. Have a Bible app right on your home screen. That's the first thing that pops up. Like never close it, right? You just shake your mouse, it wakes up, boom, Bible app. And there are many apps nowadays where they put a new verse every day. It cycles through. I have an app like that on my phone. It just cycles through every day. It might even just cycle through an entire book. Next chapter, next chapter, next chapter. So have something like that right on your computer desktop. Every day you're going to go there, right? You're going to shake your mouse, wake it up, boom. You're reading scripture. Before looking at, you know, all the terrible things happening in the world or watching your, you know, cat video on YouTube, whatever. Like you're reading scripture, You know, I started doing this last year, but every morning I wake up to my phone because that's my alarm. My phone is my alarm. So every morning I wake up, that's the first thing I grab. In the past, I would just kind of flip through whatever. But starting last year, I started doing that where it's my Bible app. I have it set up where that's the first thing I see. Right when I wake up my phone, boom, Bible app. So every single day, I've been doing this for over a year now. That's the very first thing I read. I just read scripture right when I wake up. I don't want anything else in my eyes just scripture. And then a short time after that, when I get to my desk, finally, I'll have a longer devotional. But I, but I always have these key things that I'm going to bump into. Right when I grab my phone, scripture, and then later when I get to my desk, I have my Bible there. I always have my Bible on my desk as a reminder, and then scripture again. But just every day without fail, boom, boom, I'm going to hit those things, right? So that's another way. Maybe you can have a Bible reading plan that you work through during lunch each day. Okay, that's the most like, simple, basic thing. But you have a Bible reading plan, it's on your phone, you're eating lunch, boom, you open it up, you just read the next passage. You know, by the way, our church does have a Bible reading plan. Some of you guys might be surprised by that, we do. Um, I send out the text every quarter. But if you want to join, we're reading through the historical books right now, we're in Ezra and then Nehemiah. But you can join by going to our website, go to the very bottom on the home screen, the home page, and you could download the plan, it's just right there. So that's another way. Read through the Bible during lunch. You know, I really like this. I heard this example in one of those books, but some people, they write passages on index cards. So they have a bunch, right? And every day before they leave for work, they grab one, put it in their pocket. So I actually heard an an RN, a nurse does this. But this nurse has an index card with a scripture and she puts it in her pocket. And you know, nurses, they don't sit down a lot, right? They're, They're walking around. And she said every time she reaches into her pocket, she'll fill the index card, she'll be reminded. And she said, if she's able to do it, she'll pull it out right then and there and read it. And she'll put it back. And the next time she's like working, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> she'll pull it out and she'll read it again and then put it back. And if she can't, then she'll just be reminded, right? She'll be reminded of what she read earlier if she can't read it right then and there. But that's just another simple way, brothers and sisters. That's a liturgy, right? That's a simple thing you could begin to do to make sure while I'm at work, I'm constantly encountering the word of God. Again, God clear. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. Doesn't matter if you're at work. Night shift, day shift, doesn't matter. God says it doesn't matter. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do everything according to it. Then you will be prosperous. Then you will have success. So that is the liturgy of scripture. Okay, number two, three, I'm sorry. Liturgy of prayer. Liturgy of prayer. This one's a little longer, but let me just kind of run through it. There are so many prayers you could do, amen, at so many different points at work. Okay, this one, I I made this up, but it's called the Boaz prayer. Okay, the Boaz prayer, what is that? It's a prayer of blessing, but in Ruth chapter two, verse four, it says, Boaz, this godly Jewish man, 
When he got to his workplace, he was a businessman. He, he ran this gleaning business, this harvesting business. But it says here, when Boaz came from Bethlehem and got to his fields, he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And then they answered, the Lord bless you. Right? What an awesome workplace. I wish I, I, wish I worked at a place. I, actually, I do. <laughs> I wish you guys worked at a place like that, where, you're, where you show up and your boss is like, God be with you. God bless you. Right? It's like, what, a, what an amazing way to start your day. But that is the blessing of prayer. You guys can do that too. I mean, don't say that out loud, but you could say it quietly. You can say it out loud. Right? See what happens. It'd be interesting. <laughs> but walk into your workplace. Hey, everyone, God be with you. Right? But if not, you could say it just quietly to yourself. Right when you get to work, pray immediately. Again, there's a natural reminder. Right when you walk through the doors, prayer of blessing. Oh yeah, Boaz, prayer of blessing. Here's another one, Nehemiah, the Nehemiah prayer. This is the quick, on-the-spot prayer. It says in Nehemiah 2, 4, and 5, Then the king said to me, What are you wanting, Nehemiah? Why do you look so sad? Okay, why are you here? What do you want? And then it says, So I, Nehemiah, prayed to the God of heaven. And then in verse 5, And then I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So I don't know if you caught that, but when the king said, Nehemiah, what's going on? Why are you here? It says, I prayed a quick prayer. Right? In that moment, boom, God be with me. And then it says, king, this is my request. And you know what? Maybe I learned this a long time ago. I don't know, but I, I do this regularly. I do it all the time before I meet with you guys. <laughs> but all the time, before I have a meeting, before I go, even before I come up here, I always have these quick little prayers. God, be with me. God, speak. God, give me words. God, be with our meeting. But these quick little prayers, you can do that all day long at work. Okay, the moment you bump into something and there's something, boom, quick little prayer, right? Nehemiah prayers. Here's another one, reciting prayers, reciting prayers. This is where you take a small fragment of a verse or maybe an entire verse and then you repeat it all day long. So here's, here are some examples. Thy will be done. Thy will be done. All day long, you can have this little phrase in your head and you can just pray it all day long. Thy will be done. Here's another one. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. You are my rock, my fortress. You are my rock and my fortress. Okay, here's one that I actually personally pray. This is actually one that I pray all the time. Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. I don't know why. I don't know when I picked it up, but I pray that all the time. One time, little TMI, but I was in the restroom. I was praying that. The guy looked over going, <laughs> little TMI, but, but I pray it all the time, right? To the point where it's even subconscious. I don't even know what I'm saying it. I just say it all the time. Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. Doesn't matter where I'm at, right? Bathroom, walking to my car, walking to the market. Lord, you are good. Your love endures forever. So these are quick little reciting prayers. Okay, let me just finish this up. Uh, walking prayers. Okay, this one's obvious, but when you go to work, I'm sure you're gonna be walking, Right? So some of you, you sit all day, but the moment you get up to walk, just let that be a cue. Oh, I'm gonna pray. Every time I get up to walk, I'm gonna pray. I'll pray for the person I'm walking towards. I'll pray about the thing that I was just doing. But every time you have to get up and walk, just pray. Let it be a trigger. Some of you guys are walking all the time already. Then just let a special set aside time. Like maybe during lunch, you'll have a little special walk during lunch to just kind of clear your mind. Let that be your time. But that's another reminder is when I walk, I pray. And when my walk ends, my prayer ends. It's very simple. Okay, it's not messy. 
Okay, again, this is liturgy. Okay, it's a structure to help you practice. And then one final one, final one but the offering prayer. Some people call it bracket prayers because it starts before something and then you do it again at the end of something. Okay, you pray at the beginning of something and then you pray again at the end of something. But these are offering prayers. And so what is this? Okay, I really like this one. This is actually something I do as well. But when you are about to do something at work, see, meeting with God and worshiping God isn't always something you do separate to work. It can actually be woven into work. So when you're at work and you're about to do something, let's say you're uh, going to be engaged with a project for the next three hours. Okay, what you're going to pray is at the beginning of that project, you're going to pray and say, Lord, I offer these next three hours and this project I'm going to be doing. I offer my focus, my attention to you as a sacrifice. So you're literally offering whatever it is you're going to be doing at work as a sacrifice to God. And this is biblical. Paul said in Romans 12.1, by the mercies of God, present your bodies including your minds as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you're literally offering whatever you're gonna be doing. Okay, maybe you're a student, you have to study for an exam. Okay, for the next five hours, I'm gonna be in the library studying or at Starbucks. Lord, I offer these next five hours to you as a sacrifice. I will focus intently. Okay, I am gonna be focused, riveted on what I have to do, but I'm gonna be doing it as a sacrifice to you because I love you. I know you're gonna use this for your purpose. So I offer it to you, Lord. Do you see that? So you pray that at the beginning, then you study, you work, whatever you're doing, you treat your patients, and then when you're done, you pray again, Lord, thank you. Thank you for receiving the sacrifice. May you receive the sacrifice. And then you close. So this, this is a simple, beautiful way that you can do this, brothers and sisters. But these are all just different variations of having a liturgy of prayer. You know, quick example, but... Um, there's a brother named Matt. Uh, this is in one of those books, but he works at a technical college. He teaches a computer class there. And every morning, this person, he's a real person, he says he has this liturgy of prayer where he walks up these stairs. He, he has to because his class is at the very top of these stairs. And they're very windy and they go up for a while. And he says, every day when I get to work, park, park my car, I get to these stairs, I begin praying. And he says, as I climbed the stairs, I began praying for my work day. I pray for the students. And then he says, at the halfway point, there's a window in the stairwell. He says he always pauses there and he looks out the window and he begins to pray for the whole campus. Okay, this is just a liturgy, he does. And he prays for all the students he sees walking around, they're all stressed and hurried and he prays for them. And then he says, on that last leg of the stairwell, he'll begin to pray for the actual class he's about to teach. So again, a very simple thing, but it's a liturgy he goes through every day and it's repetitive, it's consistent. It reminds him to keep it up. So that is the liturgy of prayer. You can do this, brothers and sisters. Okay, it's not hard, you can do it. And then finally, we're gonna close with this, but the liturgy of reflection. Okay, this is the fourth liturgy. So the liturgy of commute, scripture, prayer, and then finally, reflection. It says in Psalm 139, 23, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so here clearly David is saying, oh Lord, he searched me. And as God is searching him, he's reflecting on what his life is and what is in his heart. And he wants God to also search him as he's reflecting. And so this can also be a liturgy. You can turn this into a liturgy. Okay, you must regularly examine yourself, examine your, your workday. 
You know, to never do that would be kind of like driving your car cross country, logging 300 miles on your car every single day on this trip, and you never look under the hood. Okay, something bad could happen. Something might break. But it'd be like logging all these miles on your car every single day, and you never look under the hood. Okay, that's not good. You must examine yourself. And so here's the final liturgy. But at the end of your day, brothers and sisters, do you spend time to examine your day? Okay, do you reflect back on your work day, your school day? Or are you like, oh, I'm so tired, where's Netflix? I'm gonna go to bed, <laughs> right? That's like putting all these miles on your car day after day and you never look under the hood. You never examine to see if things are okay. So you need to have a liturgy to reflect. So I would recommend at the end of your day, before your you know, bed time, it's just have a, have a moment to reflect. Here are some questions. Did something happen at work that you're thankful for? Okay, why would you not remember that? Okay, why would you not thank the Lord for that? Why would you just plop down on your bed and go to bed when there was something amazing that happened that day that you should be very thankful for? You should thank the Lord. Examine, reflect on it, thank the Lord. Did something happen at work that irritated you? So many of us, we get bothered, we just bury it and we go to bed. And these things fester over time. Does something happen at work that worries you? So bogged down with worry and anxiety, which by the way is sin. Jesus said, do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. How are you gonna not be anxious? You need to examine. Okay, what is worrying me today? Okay, th this wasn't a good day. I'm very worried. Don't just go to bed, examine. Does something happen at work that was unexpected? Okay, maybe, maybe it was God's hand. You, you notice something God is doing. Don't just let that fly by. Examine, pause and examine. What, what are you saying, God? What is going? Why did that unexpected event happen? Is there somebody at work who keeps coming to mind? And I'm not talking about that cute girl or that cute guy. I'm not talking about that, okay? And if you're married, that better not be it. But I'm just talking about like, is there somebody that just keeps coming to your mind? Maybe it's somebody that's irritating you. Maybe it's somebody that you are just drawn to. You need to like talk to them. But there is a reason why. You can't just ignore this stuff and just pop yourself into bed, you must examine. This is how God is working in us. Okay, what do you believe God is addressing in you in each of these situations? And so you understand, but we must examine ourselves. And you can have a liturgy to do that. Okay, maybe for example, as soon as you change, uh, some of us, we take showers right before bed. As soon as you get out of the shower, get dressed for bed, and then just go into reflect mode. Immediately. Just reflect, okay? You already saw your Netflix, you already rested, you already did all that, you're about to go to bed. Okay, for about 10, 15 minutes, I'm just gonna reflect, Lord. Okay, what, what was today like? Maybe you could even journal. But we need to examine, we need to have a liturgy of reflection. So brothers and sisters, I believe this and so much more can happen when you have that place, when you have these practices. Okay, this was Daniel. Daniel truly was exceptional. Okay, this is how he faced the lions and overcame them. This is how God worked so powerfully through him. He was a witness, brothers and sisters. And I just want to close with this encouragement, but, but Daniel, he was exceptional, but I love what Jesus said. He said, the believer today is far greater than any Old Testament saint that we are just mesmerized by. Because Jesus said, out of all the prophets, there's none that has risen greater than John the Baptist, and yet the least believer in me today is greater than John which makes us greater than even Daniel. And so what am I saying? There can be many Daniels today, amen? Many Daniels. All over the world there can be Daniels and we need many Daniels 
who see their work as holy ground, who will regularly have liturgies to meet and encounter the living God. And through that, God will work. I look forward to hearing all the testimonies of you being disciples at work, amen? Okay, let's just come before the Lord in prayer and we're gonna, we're gonna bring this to a close. But Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for today. We thank you for just the wonderful ways that you guide us, the wonderful practical things that you teach us, Lord. All found in your word, and yet, Lord, so many of us, we do not, we do not do these things, Lord. And I pray and ask that you would encourage us, that we would be people like Daniel. In fact, if what you said is true, Jesus, we there can be many, many more Daniels. As exceptional as he was, there can be many now. All of us who regularly see our work as holy ground and we intentionally and regularly have these liturgies, these structures set up to meet with you, to meet with you, Father. So Lord God, help us. We give you all the glory. We give you all the praise. We thank you so much, Lord. And as we do, Lord, I know you're gonna be powerfully working. You will be at work. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's just come before the Lord as we uh, close. We're gonna have to keep this a little shorter. But every Sunday we have a time of response to the word, but let's just come before him. Time of response. Thank you, Father. I don't know about you guys, but I, I get excited when I think about the potential of, of meeting God and being with him at, at deeper and deeper levels. Without going into details, recently I, I, I had this conviction to completely change my schedule so that I could have a more extended time in the mornings with God. And, and, and that's just an exciting thing when I think about that. But I, but I want to encourage you guys. I mean, it could just be the smallest thing, right? Just take one thing today and try to apply it. Maybe it's the index cards where you have scripture on it. You keep it in your pocket all day at work. Maybe it's setting up that Bible app on your home screen, on your desktop, when you wake up your computer. Maybe it's that liturgy of commute when you're driving through the different parts of your neighborhood or the freeway, you, you automatically go into different expressions of worship whatever but, but let, let's just come before the Lord so let's pray and ask God God help me help me to there's so much more I can do Lord help me to begin to weave these things in into my daily life my daily work life so can you pray that prayer with me let, let's pray that for some of you you need to pray Lord help me to see my work as holy ground maybe that's the problem you just simply don't see it. But let's come before the Lord. Thank you, Lord. I want you to remember God is everywhere, but he is also here. And you can say that tomorrow when you go to work. You can say that right where you're at. God is everywhere, but he is also here in a unique manifestation. That's the teaching of Scripture. And so why, why would we ignore that? That opportunity to be with God in that unique way. Daniel knew. That's why he went to that spot in his room three times a day. 
Moses knew when he encountered God at the burning bush. All the disciples knew. You can meet with God. You can have an encounter with the living God in a unique way that is tailored for you. So Heavenly Father, we thank you so much, Lord. As we wrap up this entire series on being disciples at work, I I pray and ask, oh God, that we would actually walk away with something, maybe even if it's a small new habit, a new liturgy we put in place at work, but but I pray, oh God, that we would leave this time together with something, maybe a new mindset. That could be the most powerful, a new mindset. But Lord God, please, Lord God, and begin to help us to not only strive for excellence at work, but to be faithful to you as exiles. We are not of this world. We are radically different. Our allegiance is elsewhere. This with you. So Lord God, help us, Lord, to live in this tension. And so Lord God, we thank you so much, Lord God. And so Lord, we love you. We thank you. Be with us now as we go our way, as we start our new weeks. Oh God, I I look forward to hearing what you will do if we will just seek you in the smallest ways at work, at school, in our communities. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, let's rise for final worship.